with that said, again, you certainly can still faint, okay? But it's not exactly from contraction pain. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, you guys. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I am coming at you with a good old Ask Me Anything style episode. If you have been around Mommy Labor Nurse for a little bit, I've been doing this for four years, not the podcast, but I've been doing Ask Me Anythings, aka story questions on my story on Instagram on Sundays for four years. And every Sunday, I answer questions on there about pregnancy, labor and delivery, postpartum, and beyond. Hundreds of questions come in every week, and I can never get to all of them. I feel bad about that, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So for this episode, I just pulled some questions that I didn't get to and just kind of elaborated on them here. I love these type of episodes because in story questions, I can only go so deep, right? Sometimes I really, really want to talk about a subject, but I only have 15 seconds or I only have a slide, you know, one slide to kind of elaborate on it. So I love these kind of podcast episodes because I can really break some stuff down for you guys. There is a really good mix of questions in this episode. I cover epidurals, sex and pregnancy, water birth, milk supply, and more. Are you ready to get started? Let's dive in. Packing your hospital bag is one of those pregnancy must-use on every pregnant woman's mind, but the thing is, it can be tricky to know what to pack. Truthfully, as a first-time mom, I was such a slacker when it came to packing my hospital bag for labor. I was lucky I didn't go into labor a few weeks early because I would have not been prepared for anything. (laughs) But since then, I've come a long way and put my labor and delivery knowledge to good use to develop the ultimate hospital bag checklist just for you. This free printable checklist is organized for mom, partners, and baby, and includes only the stuff that you actually need. To grab it today, head over to mommylabornurse.com slash hospital bag. Your completely free list is waiting for you at mommylabornurse.com slash hospital bag. I have 10 questions here. Hmm. How long is this going to take? Probably, hmm, I'm going to say 30 minutes, but you guys know me. I like to talk. (laughs) I like to elaborate on things. So it might be more than 30 minutes. We'll see. All right. First question is when I got my epidural, I got uncontrollable shakes. What is this? And do you know if this is likely to happen again? Yes. Good questions. So a lot of moms who get epidurals tell me that they wish they knew about this before it started happening to them because it really catches them off guard. So shaking after getting an epidural is common, but it's normally not 
because you're cold, okay? It's typically just a side effect of the medications that are given through the epidural. It can also be related to the hormonal changes that naturally occur as labor progresses. And while somewhat annoying, the shivering, you know, really just normally settles down after delivery and it really doesn't pose a risk to you and your baby. It's just kind of annoying. And just a little side note, if the hormonal reason is to blame, it can occur for moms that don't get epidurals too. We have plenty of moms shake, especially towards the end of labor and after labor, and they don't get epidurals. So this shaking phenomenon isn't always just due to getting an epidural. Next question is, what happens if I pass out while giving birth? Historically, my body pieces out peace out on pain. I love this question. Are you guys ready for an anatomy lesson? Let's get into it. Okay. So what you are describing is something called vasovagal syncope, and it is caused by a sudden and temporary drop in your blood pressure. Temporary. And this is the result of a hyper hyper means fast or lots, hyper stimulation of the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve plays a very important role in the healthy functioning of your body. It's very, very important. The vagus nerve or the vagal nerves are the main nerves of your parasympathetic nervous system. You've got a parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for your rest and digest functions, okay? And then you've got a sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for that fight or flight. And these two systems together control your involuntary body activities like digestion, your heart rate, your blood pressure, making saliva, these things that your body just does magically and you don't have any control over them. So back to this thing called vasovagal syncope. Remember, it is the result of a hyperstimulation of those vagal nerves. And what normally triggers this to happen is something really scary for your body. You faint because your body overreacts to a certain trigger, like you get an IV, you are really scared of needles, you see blood and you pass out at the sight of blood. Or maybe you've gotten really, really bad news and you're emotionally distressed and this happens, you faint. Or pain. Sometimes people with this condition, they bang their knee against something really hard and they'll faint. But yeah, pain is definitely a trigger. And the way to combat this, if this is something that you have, is to avoid these triggers, right? All right. So with that said, it's actually extremely uncommon to faint from pain during labor, from labor pain. And let me talk about this a little bit more. It's unclear exactly how labor hormones, all these hormones that your body's pumping out during birth inhibit this response that normally would happen to you if you were in pain, but it does. Really at the core of it, the full physiological what happens (laughs) during labor and birth is something that we don't fully understand. We know that there's these hormones that, you know, your body releases and we think it's at this rate and we think this happens, but we're not exactly sure. It's really, really hard to study. But regarding this, it seems like your body is jacked up on these hormones, oxytocin, prostaglandins, endorphins, 
other hormones during labor and birth, and that somehow protects you from fainting, from the pain of labor. Normally, pain enacts that reflex, but during labor pain, your body helps kind of protect you in a way. With that said, again, you certainly can still faint, but it's not exactly from contraction pain. And I'm not going to say an end-all be-all. I'm sure maybe there's someone out there who has passed out from contraction pain, but I've seen a lot of people give birth and me in labor, and I have not seen anybody pass out from painful contractions. Sometimes we'll have moms faint after getting an IV because they're afraid of needles, and that still happens. They still have that syncope. They still faint. I've even had a patient who had a super, super crazy sensitive vagus nerve, one patient, okay, and she passed out a few times while she was pushing because straining while you're pooping, aka the same thing that you do when you're pushing a baby out, can stimulate that vagal response. But that was one patient out of many patients that I've seen, and she had this, this vasovagal syncope. So the answer to this question is probably not. But speaking of fainting, let me talk quickly too about why you could also possibly pass out, okay? If something abnormal is going on with that blood pressure, your blood pressure tanks all of a sudden, maybe you just got an epidural, maybe you've lost a lot of blood for some reason, which causes your blood pressure to tank, those types of things certainly can cause you to lose consciousness. But labor pain, because you have this condition, probably not. Next question is tips on healing from a C-section. Yes, I do have some tips. So number one, take it extra, extra slow. I'm talking turtle speed. Many moms find that they really can't do much of anything and that is okay. That is okay. All you need to do is hold, feed baby in the first few days at home. Take it so, 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 so slow. Another tip There is a big incision on your abdomen. So bending down is going to take some getting used to. The first time you bend down and pick up something after your C-section, you're going to be like, whoa. (laughs) So take caution when you're bending down. And going along with that, make sure you are holding your incision with a small pillow or a towel when you cough or sneeze or laugh or anything that increases your abdominal pressure. This really helps to decrease the stress on that incision, and it can help decrease the likelihood of it reopening, and it just helps with pain as well. Another tip, ibuprofen and stool softeners are your friends. Take them. Just stock up on them (laughs) and take them around the clock. Another tip that I've heard from moms is to go up the stairs backwards. I know that sounds weird, but the drop that your feet have downstairs, it can be kind of painful. So going up backwards just helps it not be so painful. Another tip regarding stairs, I guess, is have a step stool or something to give you a little boost when you get in and out of bed. Sometimes it can be a little cumbersome (laughs) to get out of bed and even move around while you're in the bed. So if you have a high bed, make sure you have something down there to just kind of give you a little ground before you hit the ground. And then final tip is, this is for C-section moms and vaginal delivery moms, but make sure you have lots of help. Especially for my C-section mamas, you'll be much more limited in those early days. And whether it's your partner, your family, your friends coming over, make sure you have ample support lined up because you will need it. 
Next question is, can I do anything to increase my milk supply before giving birth? Great question. So I always recommend you guys take a breastfeeding course wherever you decide to take one, whether it's an online one or at your hospital or reading some books, but education is going to be your best friend here. And then there's also this thing called antenatal hand expression that I actually just posted about on my feed the other day. And this is where you are harvesting colostrum, that first milk during your pregnancy while you're still pregnant. There are a lot of benefits to it, but one of the main ones is that it may help you avoid the early introduction of formula, which, hey, we love formula here too at Mommy Labor Nurse, right? But if you're trying to meet that exclusive breastfeeding goal and you have that early introduction of formula, sometimes it can be a slippery slope. So this antenatal hand expression is a great way to stock up on a little bit of milk while you're pregnant still and increase hopefully your breastfeeding success rate. Regarding milk supply, there are no specific studies that I could find that say if you do hand expression, you will have a better milk supply, but we can only assume that stimulating things kind of before you really start stimulating things can only help. So to do this antenatal hand expression, you can begin it at 36 to 37 weeks with clearance from your provider. Talk to your provider first, and you can do it up to two to three times per day. Make sure you do freeze your colostrum in little syringes or in little breast milk storage bags if you get a lot. You certainly might get a lot, but make sure you freeze them because if you just put them in the fridge, you know they'll go bad after a few days. And also remember, not all moms produce colostrum prior to baby's birth. Some people do, but some people don't. So if you start to do this antenatal hand expression and you don't get any, don't stress. It's okay. It doesn't mean if you don't get any, you're going to have a really crappy milk supply. No, this is just a good way to kind of get familiar, get familiar with those boobs (laughs) and kind of start stimulating things. Another great, great thing to do is something that I love to share with my moms. It's called the 553. Five minutes of hand expression, five times a day for the first three days postpartum. And this is evidence-based. There is a study, I believe, by Stanford Hospital that came out a while back that tested this method on moms of preterm infants that did this in the first three days of postpartum. And by a certain time frame, I think it was six or eight weeks, they made more milk. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, hi, Liesl, I purchased your Birth It Up natural series to prep for my first baby. I ended up having to have a C-section and I wasn't afraid at all since the course covered those as well. Yay, I'm so glad that you weren't afraid. She says, I also got an epidural within the first hour of being at L&D and again felt so prepared because your course provided so much information. I knew what to expect and even though my birth didn't go as planned at all, (laughs) it was not a traumatizing experience. I tell everyone to take birth it up. It is so worth it. Love it. I love helping to prevent birth trauma. 
I've seen it in the delivery room time and time again. Mamas that complete some kind of childbirth education before they're due have a more positive birth. So then why do less than one third of all moms take a birth class? Probably because so many of the options out there are either way too expensive, super inconvenient, or just don't offer mamas really what they need. That's why I created the Birth It Up online birthing classes. With Birth It Up, you'll gain the in-depth knowledge and confidence you need to have a better birth from the comfort of your own home at a price point that can't be beat. Head on over to mommylabornurse.com backslash courses to find the birth class that's right for you. So this is a really easy thing that you can do in those first three days. I did it with Rylan and I definitely had a better milk supply than I did with Walter. Again, it was my second pregnancy, so I knew a little bit more, you know, what I was doing, but I do think it really helped. What I ended up doing is I would feed him and then... After I fed him, I would just sit there and do five minutes right afterwards. It was so, so easy. And I didn't do it at night, didn't stay up at night. I just did it during my breastfeeding sessions during the day. Next question is, my mom got an enema dun, 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 <laughs> before her birth, so she didn't poop herself. Is this still a thing? No, it's not. So research, evidence, literature, Everyone doesn't really support the routine use of enemas during the first stage of labor. This is something that we used to do back in the day, correct, because most moms do poop while they're giving birth, okay? It's a natural thing that happens. So it was thought, hey, if we give moms enemas, maybe it will help them not poop. Maybe it will actually help the baby come out a little bit faster because there's, you know, more room. Maybe it would help with perineal tearing and help decrease infection. It was also suggested that it would reduce bowel movements after birth, which if you've not heard about that first postpartum boop, sometimes it can be a little doozy. So it was thought, hey, if we give mom an enema, maybe it can help that first poop not be so bad. But what they found is all these things that we thought enemas would help really didn't help. It didn't help decrease pushing times. You know, that would mean that there's less room and the baby would come out easier. It didn't help infection rates. And there are also some disadvantages to it. I don't know if you've ever gotten an enema, but it's not the most pleasant experience in the world. And sometimes what comes out of you kind of stays with you for a little while. And it can be a very, very unpleasant experience. I'm just thinking about during labor, during contractions. So yeah, that was a big disadvantage that it just sucked. And because you might still have this almost diarrhea come out of you, it could possibly increase the risk of infections. So no, we don't really do them anymore. Honestly, your body kind of naturally gives itself an enema sometimes before you go into labor. That's very, very common that I hear moms say, and that I definitely experienced both times, is your body just kind of cleans itself out. Next question is, will I feel a warning before my water breaks? How will I know? Ooh, so you won't. There's not going to be anything that lights up in your body that says, hey, your water's about to break. But many women do report hearing a pop, like a water balloon pop. It's the craziest thing. I have not had my water personally break, so I can't speak to this, but I've heard this time and time again that moms will say, I heard something pop right before I felt this trickle down my leg. 
Let's also talk about a couple scenarios of what will happen when it does break. And sometimes it breaks for moms before labor starts. Sometimes it breaks during labor. Sometimes your provider will break your water during labor. Sometimes you have a baby still within the sack. That happens as well. But there are kind of two different ways that it happens. So all of a sudden, a big dramatic gush like in the movies <laughs> all <laughs> can happen. All of a sudden, you feel like you just peed your pants, but you didn't, and you can't control it at all. It's not stopping. Or it might be this thing called a slow trickle. You might say, did I just, did I just pee my pants? I'm not really sure. And then a few minutes go by. Oh, did I just pee my pants again? I, I'm not really sure. Similarly to the dramatic gush, though, it doesn't stop. It continues to come out, but it just doesn't come out as fast. Typically, the dramatic gushes, (laughs) the holes in that bag are kind of down below. And typically, the slow tricklers are when your water breaks kind of above baby. But guess what? Both warrant a call to your provider. Even if you're unsure, you're like, I'm not really sure. I feel kind of embarrassed. You know, I think my water broke. Guess what? I I thought my water broke with my second one and I came in and it didn't. <laughs> it's a really, really simple few tests we can do to make sure that it didn't break. And yeah, if you ever are unsure call your provider, just get a quick little checkup, no matter if you are 41 weeks or if you're really, really early in your pregnancy too. Next question is, my partner and I had sex and I bled a little bit after. I didn't think that was normal. Is it? Okay. This is common because if we think about your cervix, your cervix is very vascular. That means it has lots of blood flow to it. And anytime we touch it, manipulate it, it has a tendency to bleed a little bit, some more than others. And sometimes it gets touched during sexual acts, (laughs) right? And we hear this a lot of times that mom will say, yeah, I had a little bit of spotting. Is this anything to worry about? Usually no, but it always is a good idea to let your provider know. If the bleeding is heavy, if it lasts more than a few days, or if it's accompanied by cramping, you have a lot of pelvic pressure, you have back pressure, contractions, fever, you're not feeling your baby move around as much, be sure absolutely check in with your practitioner as soon as possible. But If you have just a little bit of bleeding, again, always a good idea to give your provider a heads up, but this is a common occurrence that we see. Studies do support the benefits of sex during pregnancy. So unless your provider has said, don't have sex during your pregnancy because X, Y, Z, if you're having just a little bit of spotting and everything else is normal, don't let that scare you off from having sex because it has a lot of benefits. Next question is, do all hospitals have water births as an option, and do all hospitals have tubs? They don't. This is a very quick question to answer. They don't. Yeah, check with your provider. A lot of hospitals now are putting them in, but a lot of hospitals still don't. They just have showers, and there's really no labor tubs. So a good way to find out is just talk to your provider that you know, you get your prenatal care from, they will definitely know the answer to this. Next question is, does the statement labor generally progresses faster in subsequent deliveries apply when you've only had a C-section or when you've only had C-section? So you're V-backing. So basically we want to know 
is my labor going to be the same general length as someone who is laboring for the first time, even though I've had a C-section, I have had a baby before, but maybe I haven't been in labor yet. It's complicated. There is mixed research about this, mixed literature, and just anecdotally, I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen this be true with moms who come in and it is their second pregnancy or their third pregnancy or whatever, and they have labored before. So let's say they had a C-section because they were in labor for a long time or you know something happened in the end. Generally, their next labor is going to be shorter, but maybe they had a C-section for another reason and they didn't labor at all with that pregnancy. Generally, those moms, their labor pattern is going to be more similar to a mom going through labor for the first time. Again, this is my anecdotal brain. (laughs) This is Liesl's statements and not literature, not evidence-based. Again, the literature is mixed, but that is what I've seen. The last question, I can't believe we're already at the last question. I feel like I'm doing good, guys. I'm not babbling on, right? (laughs) The last question is, how many C-sections are generally safe to have? Great question. There is usually no limit to the number of C-sections actually that you can have. There's no like magic. You have to only have three C-sections or things will go bad. No, that's not true. But what is true is the more C-sections that you do have, the longer each operation, the longer time you'll be in the OR, the longer it will take and the higher your risk of complications becomes. Complications like heavy bleeding, that leads to a blood transfusion, having injuries to your bladder or bowel, possibly having a hysterectomy at the time of delivery. It's a small increase, but it's still an increase. Abnormal implantation of the placenta. This is a biggie. So the more C-sections you have, the more likely that if you have another pregnancy, your placenta might adhere to your uterus in an abnormal way. And then the most common complication that we might see are these things called adhesions that develop with increasing thickness each time that new cut is performed. There are a few other risks, but those are kind of the big ones. With that all said, there are moms who can have one C-section and have all the complications in the world, and their provider might say, I do not recommend you having another C-section or they've had two C-sections and they're, you know, they've had all these complications. And then there are other moms who have six C-sections and they have absolutely no complications at all. Every woman is different. So it's important to chat with your provider about your risks and potential complications that might arise. All right, that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you loved this episode, will you please go hit that little five-star button? I would just so greatly appreciate it. And I will see you guys next week. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. 
If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.